This episode is brought to you by Hyperice, the leader in advanced warm-up and recovery technology. They have tons of innovative products, like Venom-heated wearables to help soothe sore back muscles, Normatec compression boots to speed up recovery and increase circulation, and Hypervolt massage guns to improve mobility. Loved by athletes like Naomi Osaka and Erling Holland. Try them yourself. Get 10% off your order with the code MOVE at hyperrice.com. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles. We win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. Holding Pocket. It's time now for the Chipping Forecast, issued by Folding Pocket on behalf of Andrew Cotter, Eddie Pepperell and special guest Ian Carter. Hello there, it is Monday. I'm Andrew Cotter. Here is the Chipping Forecast, a podcast which takes a look at the world of golf, where this week we're going to update you on all that's happening in the sport, news, scores, facts. Golf is a serious business and deserves respectful, serious treatment. Now, last week, Ian Carter, who we'll meet in a moment, put out a social media post to promote this pod and branded it self-indulgent. That was in promoting this post. But I suppose he's right, so we're different this week. We're going to be serious. And if we stray from that path, playing a pointless song about a cheese tax or talking about Ronnie Corbett flicking the Vs, that sort of thing, well, each of us has been given uh, by our bosses a shock collar to keep us right. It is the only way. So, Ian Carter, BBC Golf Correspondent and our regular guest. How are you, Ian? A little bit under the weather, um, if I'm if I'm being brutally honest. Um, yeah, struggling with the, the old winter cold uh, a little bit, so I apologise for the state of my, my voice. But the one thing that is keeping me going today, Andrew, is that the saliva that flows now will become the tears of joys tomorrow. Yes, we'll come on to that nonsense from Mathieu Pavon and his hand art uh, and his amazing window uh, shortly. But we've also got to meet our uh, our super duper DP World Tour player, Eddie Peppel. Eddie, great to have you. Great to have you with us. Uh, you're very soft focus again. I don't know what camera you're using an Etch-a-Sketch to connect to us, but you're in, are you in Bahrain now? No, I'm still in Ras Al-Khaimah. Mm. I'm scratching my head as to what exactly that means that Ian just said. Yeah. I'm obviously uh, not abreast of the latest golfing news, as one might expect with Matthew Pavon. I know he won, but I didn't know what he said. What's the reference there? He didn't say anything. He's got a tattoo on his hand, which says, well, we'll just, oh. we'll, just, we'll just leap ahead to it just now. So his tattoo on his hand says, the saliva that flows now will become the tears of joy tomorrow. Now, that's lost in translate. I think he said that it was supposed to be a motivational phrase, and I was looking it up, originating, originating from Harvard students. Now, Harvard has gone downhill, clearly, since my day when I, well, I wasn't there, but uh, I've been there, walked around the campus. Very nice. But I think it should be the sweat that flows now will become the tears of joy tomorrow, because it's work hard today and it'll pay off tomorrow. I understand that. Motivational phrase. Tattoos are, I mean, come on, tattoos, nonsense. Anyway, but he's got that written on his hand, so you'll see that every time he looks down. And didn't he do well 
as someone once said, but we'll we'll come to that. We will come to that shortly because I do want to talk. I know we should talk about the PGA Tour event, uh, which finished on Saturday evening, didn't it? A lot of pressure, a lot of pressure. Oh, God. That's a shock collar for you. <laughs> Straight there. <laughs> He's ripped off his shock collar so he can do such things. Eddie, more importantly, uh, how was the Ras Al Khaimah experience? Because it was a was a roller was it a roller <laughs> a roller coaster for you? It was a little bit. You have those weeks sometimes where the result is better than the performance, and then I suppose you have weeks where the opposite is the case, and you feel like you've played very well and not quite had the result to show for it. But for me, this week, I would say I had four days of, of a real hard fought battle with the golf course and I probably won it to be honest it's not often you can come off a tournament and say that I just scrambled my way around for four days putted well um but at the same time it was four four days of just general frustration and anger well that's interesting because when when I I follow you sort of in a detached way just observing on the on the leaderboard and you know if 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 you're not up in the top 10 you finished tied 16 so a very good finish um you know, progress made. So we don't see the we don't see the furious paddling under the water, do we, Ian? We just see the scores. So I think I imagine in my head, because I wasn't really looking at shot track or whatever, ready. I'm not genuinely not that that sad or obsessed. Um but I he so I just see the scores and I think, oh he's he's plodding along, parting away. There's a birdie there, there's a birdie there. It looked like serene progress. Yeah, I I I was thinking exactly the same, Andrew, because obviously, you know, you're always interested in it and you're looking and the thing that just kept striking me was that every time you did drop a shot, and there weren't too many dropped shots in there, Eddie, at all. I think it was one double bogey and a handful of, of bogeys. But each time you, you had a setback, you had birdies pretty quickly afterwards. Well, great character. And I uh, was brought up the right <laughs> way. Most of the weeks where that's kind of occurring for me in terms of pars, 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 it, you know, historically I've been quite solid tee to green and maybe not hold the putts. But like I said, it, it wasn't the case for me in Ras Al and and I find that, world a very difficult one to live in um you know i i find it hard when i'm not hitting the ball well so that being said i i did scramble well and uh it was very padraig-esque now i did actually get a swing tip from padraig uh, harrington on the friday it was things were pretty bad i mean i i you know we, we sat down in last week didn't we and we were speaking a bit mm. about my game and i i said to you that I, I get the feeling that i'm going to need some help soon with my swing i felt a little lost so i saw pete cowan last weekend which was ha- which was helpful for an hour and then uh I saw Podreg and picked his brains this week on the Friday, so um, that was also useful. I, I had some good tips from the pair of them. How did that happen? Do you did you did he come up to you? Or did you go up to him on the range, or did you just I don't know what? Did... Podreg, I, I just saw him in the players' lounge after my round Friday, and and I just literally went to him and said to him, Podreg, can you talk to me about footwork in in the golf swing and uh, what you would recommend? And um, and then he got up and started <laughs> demonstrating, which was fantastic. And then he he got his phone out. He said, Eddie. Let me show you something. And he, he scrolled through his phone for about, I'm not joking, one minute. And there must have been a hundred videos. And these were all sent via, to his coach in the last week. So in seven days, I reckon he had sent a hundred pictures and videos to his coach. And he showed me a picture of Kyle Berkshire, who's a long drive, world long drive champion. And I kind of thought to myself, well, I'm not sure I want to go down this route. I just want a bit more ball control, quite frankly. But I will say it was um, invaluable advice. And and as we all know with Podrake, he, he is so knowledgeable and insightful about the golf swing and so willing to give his time that um, it was, I'm really glad I spoke to him and it, and it did help. Mm. He's scrolling through the videos and just said, what do you think of that? And here he's top off and he's flexing. So, yeah, yeah, it's good. Yeah. <laughs> I, I, I think it's a dangerous game, Ian, if you ask Podrick Harrington for uh, advice because you'll get great advice, but you'll be there for um, a week and a half. <laughs> yeah. he, I mean, he, 
He likes to chat. He does. We we need to get him on the pod, don't we? Because I think he'd be a, a fascinating listen. We should do some TCF meets kind of things. But what interests me, Eddie, is that obviously, so you, you had an hour with with Pete Cowan and, and Pordrick's worked with Pete Cowan. I don't know if he still is at the moment, but he, he has done in the, in the past. So did that kind of then help marry together the, the advice you were getting? It did a little bit. I mean, I've worked with Pete in the past as well. And, you know, I, I went to Pete and I said, can you just look at my swing face on? I think there's some pretty obvious errors, but I want your opinion on it. And can you talk to me about the body? Now, we all know Pete is a, he's a masterful coach and his knowledge, I think, is second to none when it comes to the golf swing. But sometimes I think throughout a coach's career, maybe you kind of forget what actually works by and large for most golfers and, and you kind of can get a little lost with your with your views on things. And I think that's happened with bit with me and Pete in the past. But this time around it was it was very good advice. And and so I spent a bit of time working on my body. But the difficult thing with body work is it doesn't cross over or marry over that quickly into golf tournaments, I find with me and, and the way I play. It's um it tends to interfere with my feels quite a lot. So I think that's background work that I would need to do. And I think he gave me some pretty sage advice. But uh and Padraig too. So it's just, I'm, I'm a bit lost. I've got a few things I'm trying to throw in this melting pot at the moment and uh, see what comes out. Two things out of that. One, I always try and try not to relate the amateur game to the, to the professional game, but I bet there are thousands, millions of listeners to this who are, are recreational golfers who know what it's like when you have golf lessons that ultimately you take a step back or two steps back to take three steps forward. It sounds like you're going through that kind of thing now at a much more elite elite level. Yeah. So that notion of going backwards before going forwards, I've always found that difficult because I think when you get to our level, if you're getting good advice, I think it should make you better very quickly. Now it's different if you're trying to do a Nick Faldo and, and kind of reinvent wheels and, and give yourself time off, but that's not really, I've not got that luxury. So I, I do need something to work for me pretty quickly. Uh, and I do think that I've got quite a lot of good fundamentals in place, whereby if I do focus on one or two good things, it, it will add on and help immediately. But uh, like I say, when you focus on your body, as opposed to say arms, and I've always been a player that's played invariably with arm feels. So I'm comfortable living in that realm that when I focus on my body, it quickly disrupts my flow, my senses of sequencing, and uh, and I can start to hit some pretty wild shots. So two steps forward for three steps back, which ironically was Podrick's advice for your footwork. I want to get your lessons though, Eddie. I did want to have a little section here just briefly on um, for however you think that you're swinging it, you know, grinding it out there on the course and getting a, a T16 and getting some cash. Um, so obviously there's something good going on in your, your head. So I just wanted to do a little bit of this quickly. Is pep talks. No, you're doing it all wrong. I'm wasting my time here. So when we are on the golf course and we make, uh, for us, triple bogey, probably for you, bogey, double bogey, whatever, because you had actually, was it 10 and 12 in the final round? You went, you had to bogey, double bogey or double bogey, bogey, whatever it was. So and suddenly I thought, oh, no, oh, Eddie. But then you birdied four of the last six holes. So how do you put that? How do you put that behind you? I mean, what is there any sort of process in particular, or is it just as boring as right next shot? So people may or may not be aware that I, I have broken a number of clubs in my career, and I broke one on the tenth tee on Sunday. Um, it was a tough tee shot, so it's there's water all the way up the left, and the wind was off the left, and I hit three wood, which usually is my go-to club, and I committed to the swing feel. It was a really you know committed shot, and I pulled it, but it drew into the water, which 
when I when that happens to me, I'm I'm in no man's land because if that's a committed swing and it pull draws, then my own committed swing is a high right, so I can never hit that fairway in in those conditions. And so years ago, I used to have a three wood, a Callaway three wood that I used all the time, and it was super flat. I went to the Callaway guys and I said, "Build me a club that just never goes left." So they put all of the weight in the toe, they made it super flat, and this thing always moved left to right. And and to have a three wood that doesn't do that for me quite at the moment, I, I find infuriating. So um, that one went. And frankly, I wasn't in a good place with my head. I was very angry, a bit depressed and didn't want to be there. So the finish is, and in comes the dog, just there you go. I see, I'm feeling great again now. <laughs> Sorry. Just when you said I'm feeling play. down, I'm feeling depressed, Olive barged open the door, wagging her whole body. So there we are. That's what you yeah. need to be caddying for you. Sorry, go on and I'll get mm. her out. But, uh, you know, I just knew that I had to keep going and... Um, Try and find something in the end. And and I chipped in on 16. I made an unlikely birdie, frankly, and that could have changed things. I could easily have not gotten up and down and only finished, you know, one under for the final four, but chipped in and made a great birdie on the last. I mean, I was pitching out of the sand, going in from best part of 200 yards and hit a six iron to 10 foot and hold it for birdie. So things that I wouldn't bank on happening all the time did happen and they fell my way this time around. But my short game and my putting was very good. So that's something I can take into Bahrain. And that was actually going to be my my second point. The thing that you were, despite having the discomforting feelings about your swing and your ball striking, to have made the scores that you did and to finish where you did and to post your best result of the season so far, that must tell you something and give you something to feed off. Yeah, it does. And, and actually that hasn't happened very often in my career, really. It's certainly in the last few years where I have scrambled a result out of very poor ball striking. So uh, that was an unusual and Alison, like I said earlier, that's not a kind of thing I want to become the norm for me. I, I know that I need to certainly fix my irons. But uh, yeah, it was as gr- as much as a grind it was as it was it, it, at the same time felt like, you know, you were uh, getting one up against the course. And, and my bunker play was very good around the greens. And, uh, and I spent a bit of time working on my putting in Dubai last weekend and early in the week. And me and Jamie did some good work there. So all that stuff can keep hopefully building as I move forward. Just quickly, everyone, this is an insert recorded after the pod because Eddie didn't give us the full story about his his uh, temper tantrums in Ras Al Khaimah. He gave us a little bit of a hint of it, but after we stopped recording the pod, Eddie told us the full story. Eddie, what happened when you broke your club in Ras Al Khaimah? Well, I broke it in front of the referee and he, I didn't know he was there, but I threw the head into the lake and the shaft into the lake, but the scorer went and got the shaft out of the lake and, and walked around the final nine holes with carrying the scoreboard and my broke half of my broken three wood uh, and was just swinging it around, you know, like a lunatic putting us all off. And then coming off the last green, he asked me to sign the bloody thing. And I told him, <laughs> <laughs> do you not sign it? No, no, I didn't. <laughs> right. That's all. <laughs> the end of this insert. Thank you very much. And how tired are you feeling today? That was one of the most striking things from our conversation in in Dubai when you talked about just how much four rounds takes out of you mentally and, you know, where your energy levels are on a Monday after a tournament. Yeah, I am pretty tired. I was tired all week just because of the grind and and the focus and so much going on in my head trying to fix things. Um, so many swing thoughts every day and the heat and the breeze, you know, it's uh, it does take its toll. But at the same time, I do think at the moment, because of the time spent, albeit quite short time with Podrig and Pete, you know, it has provided me with a little bit of hope. And uh, and it's certainly the hope that you live by as a golfer. When things aren't going your way, you always, at least with me anyway, every day that I practice, there is always hope at the beginning and the end of that. So um, it's the competition that sometimes just just drags me down. 
Listen to us with our serious golf chat. Um, Ian, actually, going back to your argument then last week that, uh, you know, we were talking about Nick Dunlap and you're playing devil's advocate a little bit, but you were saying that, you know, give him the prize money, give him the prize money for winning that despite the fact that he was an amateur. And I was saying, no, because he's gone in with that amateur mentality that it doesn't matter. And yes, there's pressure, even if you're an amateur, trying to win a tournament. But do you think that somebody who finished, an amateur who finished 15th just ahead of Eddie or tied for 16th with Eddie should get the prize money? Because surely that's, you know, that's nonsense. There's someone who's not got a chance of winning the tournament, but they're playing without the the pressures of a career that Eddie has. This is his first sort of payday of the, the first two tournaments of the year. So it's a very, very different thing. So that's why I think being an amateur and being a professional in tournament is a is very different. And, and if you go into it as an amateur, then you go into it with that different mentality and you don't deserve the prize money. The more I think about it, the more I think certainly that Dunlap deserved, well, if, if he didn't deserve the prize money, he certainly deserved the the FedEx Cup points and and all of that. He's He's gone out there. You know, as we said all along, golf is his thing. And he, he was fighting for his future there, albeit with amateur next to his name rather than professional. And now, of course, he has turned professional, but... He starts now on zero, so he goes into Pebble Beach this week on zero for FedEx Cup points, having won two weeks earlier, which to me it just seems it's just absurd. It's just it's just rules and terminology getting in the way of what actually happened. No, it's not. He wasn't playing for his future there. He was playing he was. as an amateur. Is it called? No, he wasn't. He, he wasn't. Was, he was because he won, and now he's turned professional, and now he's got the contracts that have come with it. So he was playing for his future. He, that's he, a, he that's just a totally different thing to if someone is playing on the cut line and they've missed the cut the last time or they're trying to make some money. It's a totally different feeling. So, I, you know, however well he played, you don't get the money if you go into it as an amateur. That's it. You don't. You can't just, oh, when you come out the 17th, go, do you know what, I, I think I'd turn professional now. It's the same. It's, it's not. Anyway, it doesn't really matter. He's turned professional now. So um, off he goes into the into the professional ranks. Starting on zero, but but having... Starting on zero, but with all the exemptions, he gets the exemptions exactly, into everything. Exactly, exactly. So it's nonsense, isn't it? You get the exemptions, but you don't get the points and you don't get the money. There's, that's total inconsistency. I don't. I mean, I, I disagree with the prize money thing entirely. So, mm, I think uh, on balance, I'm probably with Andrew here, actually. Uh, I, I certainly get Ian's point and uh, can see it, but I think on balance, I would agree with Andrew. Uh, that's an amazing mm, there's thing. There's a first. <laughs> what a day, what a rare day for, for everyone. Um, anyway, and why is that, Eddie? I just think that if if he had have missed the cut, there would have been a very different mindset to him missing the cut than a professional missing the cut. And just to flip it, for example, um, to Andrew's point, there is something, there was fundamentally something different riding on him going into that tournament than it for every other person in that field as a professional golfer. So I, I think, therefore, there is a, there is a difference um, now. Not that's not to say that something couldn't be done retrospectively. Maybe you have a, a regulation where you know within seventy two hours, if you decide to turn professional after a result, then you can get a percentage of the prize money and some points. I think that would be a what a smart thing to do. But uh, no, I, I think I agree with Andrew. There is a difference. Right. Uh, let's talk. Well, the, the winner in Rasselkeimer, first of all, um, Torbjorn Olsson, eighth European Tour win, DP World Tour win. So he's just. I mean. Uh, I mean, he sort of had two careers now because since the incident and everything that went before, you know, on, on the plane and where he was cleared of all things. And uh, I was on that plane. Were you? Just... Oh, right. Okay. Hang on a second. Here we go. Right. 
Okay, as we dance gently through the the minefield that is, I mean, you know, Toby. I mean, you see, he's a he's a. We saw him at uh, Queenwood when we were down for a match there. He plays. I know he's out in the Middle East as well now, but he is, and you'll know him very well. And, and I've had plenty of dealings with him as well. He is a very nice guy, Toby Arnold, and what a talented golfer as well. First and foremost, yeah, he's an extremely talented golfer and a tireless worker. I would say that, and there are not many players work as hard as Toby on on his game. You know, I remember coming home on that flight from America. It was a British Airways flight, obviously, coming back from the WGC. He was in first class with um, Holter, I think. And I was back, I was in, I was in business. You know, oh, with, for goodness sake. Back and back in business. With a couple others, Justin Rose being one of them. But I remember waking up in the morning. I heard nothing on the plane. I was asleep, heard nothing. Woke up in the morning and saw Poulter looking for Justin and he was brushing his teeth. And he came over to me, he said, Ed, you'll never believe what's happened in the night. And and he told me what happened and, uh, or anyway, his story of events. And, um, and then uh, we landed and well, on came the police to arrest him. And I remember texting his manager immediately and said, I'm not going to say his manager's name, but I texted him and said, listen, there's been an issue with Torbjorn and you might want, and he thought I was joking. It was the classic George Coates here punching a shark. He didn't believe me, Andrew. He said, no, you're winding me up. I said, no, no, I'm not winding you up. So, uh, yeah, well, that was an interesting journey home. It was, and an interesting something a couple of years for Torbjorn Olsen because that sort of went straight. At, you know, from there, that was twenty nineteen. Went into it was all delayed because of of COVID. So it sort of it hung over him. And again, I would say that at the, at the end of it, it was cleared of all charges. Torbjorn Olsen. So uh, on we go. But Eddie was on the flight, snoozing after his own red wine and sleeping pills combination. So um, anyway, anyway, I'm glad. Um, I took the shock collar off at the start of this episode. So I actually met the KC uh, who represented him. He's a member at Queenwood and uh, what a supremely smart guy. Yep, good, good. Anyway, <laughs> um, Ian's just been uh, hanging back on this, just rolling his eyes on this chat. I didn't realise you were on the flight as well, Eddie. That's, that's great. Right, um, anyway, Torbjorn Olsen putted the lights out. Absolutely, his putting was was something else. So we had Rasmus, uh, Rasmus Hoygaard was second. And that, that would link us neatly into the, the PGA Tour when Nikolai Hoygaard was was second. And the thing about um, uh, the Farmers Insurance and Torrey Pines, because Mathieu Pavon winning, because his run of birdies at the end in the DP World Tour Championship at the end of last year, was that not what kept Rasmus Hoygaard from joining Nikolai Hoygaard as one of the 10 cards from the, <laughs> getting your card from the DP World Tour to join the PGA Tour to join his brother. So it's very, very strange. Yeah, and very significant, I think, as well. The fact that Pavon could birdie the last four holes in Dubai, leapfrog into, I think it was eighth or eighth place amongst the 10 who were trying to qualify for the PGA Tour, uh, then obviously takes his card, finishes seventh in Hawaii, and then um, wins this this tournament, uh, the Farmers at Torrey Pines. And now he's set for the signature events. He's playing at Pebble Beach uh, this week. He's into the Masters, and he is absolutely set. And I know that in America there is a little bit of derision sometimes at the standard of play on the DP World Tour. And you can listen to American golf podcasts and there were a lot of campaigns about the world rankings and and in the past them favouring the DP World Tour compared with the PGA Tour. Well, it's certainly flipped the other way now. And for someone like Pavon to do what he's done off the back of charging very late in, only one win in what it was his 185th uh, attempt to win when he won in Madrid last year. 
Um, and now he's he's proven himself as a PGA Tour winner. Nikolai Hoygaard, we know, is an immense talent as well. The number of Europeans who were on that leaderboard in California at, at the weekend, you know, I think we have to stand up for the standard of European Tour golf, and it's being being proven right there with that victory for for Pavon. So that's why I say I think it's it's very significant. I agree. Matt, Matt's an excellent player, and to watch his progress in the last year. Do you know, it actually reminds me a little bit of mine uh, towards the middle end of 2018 into early 2019, mm. where I won a couple of times and played with confidence and went to America and nearly, well, ended up nearly winning the Players' Championship out of nowhere. And, you know, it's amazing when a good player like Matt and like I was back then with confidence becomes a very good player. And, and certainly the guys who are getting their 10 cards they're playing with confidence. They're clearly playing well. There is nothing for them to fear or worry about going to play on the PGA Tour. They're plenty good enough. I think the issue comes when you lose a bit of form and a bit of confidence over there and it's a different lifestyle, a very different environment. That's when things can start to unravel and that's the thing you've got to be careful of. Um, but Matt's a brilliant player and I expect him to carry on from here. And he's always said he he wanted to get back to America. He went over there for a spell, worked... Uh, I think it worked with someone who was connected with Sandy Lyle. I cannot remember. Anyway, but he was over in Florida and said he wanted to get back there. So getting his card. And he, he said since his win, he said, look, I always, when you know you have a fallback of going back, back, and it sounds terrible to call the European Tour, the DP World Tour a fallback, but when you know you have that safety net, if it doesn't work out necessarily, then that must be, you know, a huge, huge boost. But he, um, a little bit more about him, apart from the tattoo on his hand. His mother's a golf pro. She still teaches just outside Bordeaux. Um, his father was a, a really good pro footballer, so he, he was with Toulouse. So that's where Mathieu Pavon was born. Then he moved to, to Bordeaux to play for the Girondins and coach there as well, um, uh, Michel, his father. And so we've both been members of the same golf club, um, Mathieu Pavon and I. Golf to Medoc outside Bordeaux, because I lived in Bordeaux for a while and... As a member, he was about three years old when I was, uh, in fact, no, he'd have been two years old when I was there and a member. But, well, you have aged like a fine wine as well, Andrew, so that's good to hear. I have indeed. But anyway, yes, uh, he got, I noticed as well that I didn't realise, I was about to say he was a Matt Fitzpatrick chipping technique, but he did it long before Matt Fitzpatrick, the left below right, because he had the chipping yips shortly after turning pro. So he does the left below right as well. So... I might give that a bash. Um, get a bit flippy sometimes with the hands. So, Ian, you thinking about it? I've thought about it. I've tried it. I've, I've tried everything, but the chipping's good at the moment. So we're not we're not not worried about that at the moment. So that's that's fine from a personal point of view. I love the way that Pavon won. And another of my hobby horses is is people sort of doing down week in week out golf. You know, the fair has been great to watch, and the way that he he won. Um, on on Saturday as it was. And that's another point that I wanted to discuss. But obviously went into the bunker very close to the lip, advanced the ball into really thick rough. His caddy tried to talk him into just laying up and playing for the playoff with Hoygaard. But he said, no, I'm going for it. Threw the kitchen sink at it. Well, it was an eight iron. Um, gouged it out and it landed beautifully, trundled down, then made the, the, the birdie putt from eight feet and one by one. I mean, that's great entertainment. That's great sport. Obviously, it finished on a Saturday because of the big NFL on the Sunday. So they didn't want it to be overshadowed by that. But you think about golf, the entire calendar is basically based around trying to avoid NFL. And that's why we've got this you know, massively condensed major season, FedEx Cup finishing in, in August. So just throwing it out there, what do we think 
is it the right way to go? And I genuinely not sure what my opinion is, but is it the right way to go to bend your schedules because you know there is this behemoth of NFL or whether it's Premier League football or whatever, so give yourself the best window? Or do you not just say, let's let's go with our established format, finishing starting on a Thursday, finishing on a on a Sunday, and putting out the best show that we possibly can and and rewarding our loyal, loyal followers? Hmm. I don't know the answer to that question, but I suspect that they're probably doing the right thing in in avoiding the uh, behemoths, as you say, like the NFL. I mean, I did see a tweet, I can't remember who it was from, but it was the viewing figures in America of the, all the sporting events last year. And I think the NFL, you know, occupied 45 of the top 50 or something most viewed sporting events. So clearly it's something that other sports probably have to combat as well. And uh, it makes some sense to to do it from the golfing standpoint. We we just, you know, there's a, there aren't enough eyeballs out there, I suppose, for it to work otherwise. Do you think, Ian, though, though I, I just wonder what the figures were in France. It's a it's, uh, it's minority sport in France. Uh, although it's it's getting big and um, continental European golf is they've got some great systems in place, don't they? I was you know I saw Lawrence Donigan tweeting about you know yeah. he likes to lay down hard facts, Lawrence. Love Lawrence, and he say, look in twenty thirty three, guarantee there'll be no British <laughs> players on the on the European Ryder Cup team. It's not a it's not an impossibility that there will be an all continental European Ryder Cup team in the not too distant future. No, I think that's a good, really good chance. Eddie, what do you think? Well, I don't know about that, but I was just thinking about the way the game's going. And I think as it's moving towards being a bit more of a science than an art, it would be reasonable to expect to see more Scandinavians, I suppose, in in the sense that their climate is less relevant because they're able to work on the more scientific aspects of the game, which ultimately are having a bigger impact, like hitting the ball further, like hitting the ball straighter and the physical aspects of the game. So, uh, you know, I always thought that, it's interesting in the UK, we grew up playing as much Lynx golf as we do, which if you, when I grew up watching the Scottish players, they were all very good in the wind and hitting it low, but none of them really made it on tour because it was a completely different style and game of golf. And they're preparing, clearly the Europeans are preparing their golfers and their amateurs in a, in a really very good way. And and obviously they then go to the college system in America and the same thing happens there. So um, it's certainly something for the UK and the sporting bodies in the UK to, to look seriously at. Have a clinical environment just where you're just able to work on the data. A, bar, a barn or the simulator. Just, well, no, it's, uh, it's it's very true what you say about the the fact that we all grew up, or so many of us grew up playing that style of golf and uh, it doesn't necessarily prepare you for, uh, for well, certainly for the game of golf as it is now. Well, listen, I, sorry, and before you say, I, I played on Saturday with Josh Greenville-Wood, who's a young English lad, but he spent the last six or seven years out here in Dubai, and I've never seen club speed like it. It's, it's amazing, isn't it? <laughs> it's extraordinary. And I played also yesterday with Richard Mansell, who hits the ball at Country Mile. But he said something quite interesting about Josh. He said that you can see he's spent the last five, six years playing Middle East-type golf. And he's right. He hits the ball a mile through the air. So courses like this for him are so much easier than they are for me. And that's, I think, one of the reasons why I struggle in the Middle East and players like Josh and obviously Rory, who don't get me wrong, he's superior in more than one way than me, but he also does very well in the Middle East. And we're playing more and more golf in the Middle East and, and the way the game is being played is changing. I Again, I saw another tweet of a young American lad who just did well in at Torrey Pines, hits the ball miles, 128 mile an hour club speed. I know we've spoke about this before and we labelled the subject, but the game is changing and speed is the future. And really it's it's just, uh, it's about prioritising that. And talking to Cameron Young, as we did in Dubai last week at the Dubai Desert Classic, he was making the point that there is no massive cultural shift for him coming to play a Middle East course like the Majlis course at the Emirates Club 
because he plays plenty of desert golf in in America. And, you know, so there might be something in this, in that the Europeans, the continental Europeans, are, are building players who are ready for this, if you like, formulaic, Americanized kind of golf that is played in in more conducive climates, if, if if that's the the way to put it. And so, whereas, as you say, Eddie, the British and the Irish players who are coming through, and let's face it, Ireland have had loads of success in, in the last couple of decades, but those players are being conditioned by, like, the, the elements and 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 British golf and, and Lynx kind of golf. And that's not actually the kind of golf that is going to be played predominantly on the professional tours. I think that's right, yeah. <laughs> Sorry, I'm just watching Andrew. I think he wants to move on. I'm just worried about the length of the pod. People like 50-minute pods. 50 minutes has been deemed to be the absolute apogee of uh, pod perfection timing. So um, oh, we've got to play this, though. Ian sent us this, though. So this is uh, when I talk about uh, I wonder how it was received in France. I haven't looked at L'Equipe, but uh, Canal Plus, they cover the golf in in France. So let's have a, see if we can have a listen to this. We, 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 we! we! Mathieu Pomon devient le premier français vainqueur d'un tournoi sur le PGA Tour Fabuleux Qui l'eût cru pour son troisième tournoi en tant que membre à plein temps Il écrit l'histoire du golf masculin français T'es un champion Mathieu T'as un cœur énorme T'es un grand Tout simplement What Peter Hansen said, oh, oh lovely stuff. Yeah, so he... Went on a bit, he didn't did, he? He did his... That was the language of love. <laughs> I mean, there was a lot of a uh, lot of animation in there. I so. love that. I do love you? It. Yeah, I do. Absolutely. It's got sport. Sport has to stir the passions, and it did. Yep. 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 You need to take that into your Six Nations work, Andrew. But Six Nations commentary is different from golf commentary. So I no, it's good. I, I no, good, good passion. Love it. Right. Anyway, so first Frenchman to win on the PGA Tour, they said, as some of them said, since 1907. What a lot of nonsense to see that claim, saying that Arnaud Massey's win at Hoylake in the Open in 1907 was a, a PGA Tour win. But there we are. So uh, well done to Mathieu Pavon and long may he prosper. Le jour de gloire it arrive. Bob McIntyre, uh, he's not quite taken to the American experience so far so well. 78-70 to miss the cut. Although Sepp Stracker, he was also four over. Don't know what's happening to Sepp at the moment. But anyway, we'll move on. We've got to move on. We've got to move on. Uh, the LPGA, because drive-on. The drive-on championship. Nelly Corda won at Bradenton Golf Club, which I think was pretty much where she grew up, wasn't it? Um, mm. but, she, but she, it was quite exciting though in the in the end though wasn't it the way it happened not the playoff went on a little bit longer but um, but just getting into the playoff was pretty exciting in it was very exciting um, Corda had a four shot lead at the at the start of the day it was having a horrible horrible round and uh, ultimately she went into the water on the par three midway through the the back nine. Uh, missed a couple of putts, and then all of a sudden, a really freaky eagle for Lydia Ko on the 17th when she very nearly went into the water, missed the water on a sort of necky-looking approach, and the ball ran up to tap in range. So she made an eagle at the 17th. And all of a sudden, out of nowhere, Lydia Ko, who won the week before, was three shots clear coming down 
the 18th. In the end, she had to make two very, uh, she had to putt from miles because she'd driven into a divot to make a par at the last. And it basically meant that Nelly Corder had to eagle the 17th, which was the par five, and birdie the 18th to force a playoff. And lo and behold, she did. And they were the only two eagles on that 17th hole. Um, Corder hold from the back of the green, hit a fantastic second shot in and hold from, it looked like, 15, 16 feet for, for the eagle. And then very nearly hold her second shot, which was beautifully judged off a really skinny lie and, um, and was a tap in. She thought it had gone in. She was hitting into the sun and the crowd were going nuts and she thought the ball had actually gone in. As it was, she tapped in and then I think it was the second extra hole uh, she got the, the victory. So the LPGA has had Lydia Ko uh, first and second in the first two weeks. Nelly Corder winning as well. So the LPGA off to a real flyer. Nelly Corder was one of the players that Podrag told me to watch in terms of the, the footwork because she, he said that she moves her foot really, really well, right foot, and that's what I need to do. So I showed him a video of my swing and he said, oh, you look more like Nelly the elephant. Come on, Podrig. Come on. Did you, at that point, you just got your phone out and played some cricket sounds to him? Oh, thought that was quite a good joke. What, or do, so he didn't actually say that, Podrig? No, I made that bit <sighs> up, but he did mention the Nelly cord. Yeah, well, bit. you need to go from Nelly the elephant to Nelly the elegant. I like that. I like that. Actually, I'm going to tattoo that on my hand, like Pavon, from Nelly the elephant to Nelly the elegant. That, that will work. I'm just trying to leave a long silence of pain. It's all this chat. Anyway, Lydia Ko, they were making a huge deal about a win for Lydia Ko would get her into the, the Hall of Fame, the LPGA Hall of Fame. I, I, Hall of Fames just do my head in. It's a, <laughs> the thing. Fame is a thing which is intangible, which is decided on recognition by people because you've won majors or won tournaments. It's not a thing that, it, you know, it doesn't have to be formalised with a, a building and a certificate or a scroll. It's just... Anyway, never knows Lydia Cole is a Lydia Cole is a is a great golfer and you know a Hall of Famer in our heads. We don't need a Hall of Fame. Andrew, what is it they say? Fame is a mask that eats away at the face. Yeah, they don't say that in the Hall of Fame, though, do they? At the at the inauguration ceremony or when you're getting your certificate. Lydia Cole, ladies and gentlemen, remember Lydia, fame is a mask which eats away at your face. Anyway, the buffet is now open. That'd be a great tattoo. It would be a great tattoo. Drive, she wins the Drive On Championship. I was trying to find out what the sponsor Drive On actually do, but a Google search on Drive On only led me to the Facebook page of a driving instructor in Aberdeen. <laughs> Maybe it is that driving instructor sponsoring the event. Times have been good. I mean, he seems to be quite popular, or she. I don't know if it's a he or she. Might have taught Gemma Driver. Very good. Seems to be uh, a good instructor. Last post on Facebook from Drive On, the driving instructor in Aberdeen. Great start to the week with a first time pass this morning for Ellie Beatty. A nice composed drive. And ironically, given the weather previously, it was the sun that ended up being the problem. And the instructor's put a, an emoji in there, which I can't quite see what it is. But anyway. Isn't that what Ronnie Corbett said to you after flicking the Vs? Drive on. <laughs> drive on. Oh, Laura Petrie has replied, well done toots. Anyway, um, <laughs> yes, and there we are, the Aberdeen link. More good form from Gemma Driver. She was 13th. Uh, although it was another final round that she won't be too pleased with, 75, um, 69, 68, 69 before that, but obviously in good shape. Next tournament in the LPGA Tour, not for four weeks. The LPGA in Thailand and then Singapore at the end of February. Bit of a bit of a, a, bit of a pause there, so there we are. And uh, just a little bit of a pause here. You're listening to the chipping forecast, and like all forecasts, it's hit and miss whether they get it right or wrong. Well, let me tell you a little bit about Nord. Nord. 
Nord. It's one of those words that you can just say over and over again until it has no meaning. Nord. 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 Uh, Nord VPN. What am I doing? Nord VPN, virtual private network. The internet doesn't know where you are. It's a mystery. It's a great thing because you can then do things like watch sporting events, TV shows, films, which aren't available in your region by switching your virtual location to a country which is showing the event. Or you can protect your private data like bank details, passwords, online identity. NordVPN, threat protection. It protects you from viruses, malicious malware and phishing sites. It is the fastest VPN in the world. No buffering, lagging while streaming and it stops your ISP bandwidth from throttling. And it is the price of a cup of hot chocolate is our choice this month. A, a price of a cup of hot chocolate a month. One NordVPN account can be used on up to six devices and for a huge discount off your NordVPN plan, go to nordvpn.com forward slash chipping. And that link is also in the pod description. Nord. 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 This is Tyrrell Hatton. You are listening to The Chipping Forecast. If only Andrew could be as even-tempered as me. Well, 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 well. While we had that little pause there, we've seen some news, Ian, some reports. It's reports verging on news, verging on facts. It's a lot of us suspected that Tyrrell Hatton... Well, actually, have we got the... We've got... You spoke to Tyrrell Hatton in Dubai. The reports are that Tyrrell Hatton's off to live. So you spoke to him, and it was interesting what he said. So let's just all listen again to what he said to you in Dubai. Tyrrell, it's just a just a quick question. Obviously, there've been reports come out in the papers and <laughs> suggesting that you're being targeted by Liv. So I just wondered if you got any reaction. That's all. Um, I would say there's several people that have had conversations. Um, I think that's part and parcel of golf at the moment, but. Quite happy playing PJ Tour and DP World Tour. Have you had those conversations? Well, I just I just said that. Well, you said several people, but you'd include yourself amongst them. Well, yeah, there's a lot of people that have. Yeah. So I don't think there's anything to shy away from. Yeah. And and you're you're staying put. As of right now, yeah. Right, so, um, I mean, he was cross at that point. I think he'd... Did he bogey the last? I don't know what he'd done. Anyway, he was crossing, wasn't he? But that was telling. When I heard his last thing, as of right now, yeah, you kind of knew that the writing might be on the wall. The door was ajar. It was clearly ajar, wasn't it? And he is big friends with John Rahm, enjoyed a very successful Ryder Cup partnership again with the Spaniard in, in Italy. And so this is not earth-shattering news. I think it's... I think it's very worrying news for the DP World Tour and and also for the PGA Tour. It's another top player. We're fully expecting Adrian Moronk to go as well. As we speak at the moment, Hatton's name is still in the entry list for for Pebble Beach this week. But he's another, you know, whether you like him or or not, he's another character out there on on the tour. And yes, he, he, he basically requires commentators to make apologies for his language after every shot that he that he hits but he's a, he's a character out there he's not someone who's ever i don't think fulfilled his potential at the highest level in terms of the majors but he's a winner on the 
the PGA Tour, although not for for a long while, but a very consistent performer, number 16 in the world. He's a key man, you would think, for the next couple of Ryder Cups, at least for for Europe. So that's going to pile more pressure on to rule changes. And who knows what the landscape is, is going to be like going forward. But if the reports are true, then he's in line to make $50 million out of this at least. And um, once again, money is talking. And once again, the game is being split asunder. Um, and, you know, I think for fans who want to see the best players playing against each other more, more regularly, it's another it's another depressing day. And it, and it, begs, uh, it begs certain questions. You know, we've got Pebble Beach this week and we've got the start of the live season. Which would you tune into? Which has got the biggest characters? Which has got the um, the biggest names? And it's not, I'm not saying that it's live, but I'm not saying it's an easy, uh, but, uh, but what I am saying is it is not an easy question to answer. Well, I agree. I mean, I wouldn't tune into either. And and that's, yeah. you know, I think how a lot of people <laughs> no, it's feel. True. Yeah, that's true. I was about to say the same thing. Well, and that's the problem. That is the problem because it because it's split. I agree. And and this is, uh, it's, it's going to, the rubber's going to meet the road for the professional game at some point in the next two or three years. I think so many, so much interest is just being driven away from professional golf because of all of this division. And, and uh, you know, I think it's also interesting, supposedly there are still talks going on and an agreement that's, you know, trying to be had here. But I cannot see how you can come to an agreement when Tyrrell and John and Adrian even, they've just signed up to play 14 live events. Plus the majors for John, not for Tyrrell. That's a risk, a bigger risk for Tyrrell and Adrian, for sure. But uh, where is the agreement? I, I, I cannot see how it can possibly be made in this environment while players are still on their way to live and contractually obliged to to play a minimum of 14 events. And, and that contract doesn't apply to the PGA Tour or the DP World Tour. So I'm as, um, listen, you know, we spoke about this a few months ago and I, and I was pretty down in the dumps about it all and, and it hasn't changed for me but I will just say I, I don't watch any golf really anymore and I have no interest in watching any golf and, and I and I know that could just be me but I think reading between the lines that, that applies to a lot of people. It's not just you at all Eddie. Uh, I it's uh, We get correspondence people say uh, what, as we've talked about the people say they love golf and they love playing golf and they, they will continue to watch the majors or the Ryder Cup or whatever it might be but week in week out the professional game is of no interest to them because it's not just where the money is coming from but that has been a huge thing but it is the amount of the money and just how detached it is from from reality but money will, will always win in the end but I don't watch I you know and I'm someone who I work in many other sports, but I work in golf and golf was always my first love, but I'm less and less enamored by it and less and less inclined to watch it apart from the majors and the the big events where everyone comes together. So I'm certainly not, I've got no interest in watching live. I hate the sort of style of the product and whoever, you know, John Rams, it was a big, big move and he'll go off and he'll play this week. He's actually a name for, I don't know who his team's going to be. I think Till Haddon's going to be on it. The, the air fryers, whatever they're called. I don't know. Oh, I've got an air fryer. It's very good, actually. The air fryer's on the Mask Singer, Mask Singer, which you should definitely watch. Oh, really? Oh, it's fantastic. Is there an air fryer on the Mask Singer? There is an air fryer on this season's Mask Singer. And by the way, Piranha is just sensational. See, Eddie's watching that rather than golf on a Saturday evening, which uh, which says everything about the, the product, that maybe you need to have people dressed up as air fryers. Maybe that's what they'll do in John Ram's team. But that is it, Ian, isn't it? You, you focus on the big events where you know all the players are going to be playing and it's just not happening. And the moment, however big this week is, it's at Pebble at uh, Pebble Beach, which is, a, you know, it's a big, big event. It's a signature event. Morrison's the best range. 
and there are lots of big names playing, but it's not all the best names playing. There are so many who will be playing in Mayakoba in the first live event of the year, and it's just, oh, it's just a bit of a, a bit of a mess, a big money mess. Legion Thirteen is the name of the of John Rahm's um, team. By the oh, way, oh right, that's it. So yeah, yeah. not the Air Flyers. Right. Okay. <laughs> what was Legion Thirteen? Was Legion Thirteen? I've got a. Oh, hang on. You, you carry on chatting. I'll look up Legion Thirteen. Well, I actually think there's some. I think I think there might be an interesting mm. history behind Legion Thirteen, but I'll let you and Google find that out. I'm just spreading a rumor there, maybe. Yeah, I, I, just to play slight devil's advocate, and I and. Don't get me wrong, you know, I, I started I started by bemoaning the, the fractured na- nature of the game. The one thing I would say is that throughout all of uh, all of this, um, golfers have gained infamy and notoriety um, and have become more familiar to the general public um, because of all the controversy that Liv has, has stirred up. So... You know, I, I, when you look at the the viewing figures, certainly in in Europe for the Ryder Cup, which were were records being broken left, right, and centre, um, and that that to me suggests that there is a dividend somewhere, and certainly at the at the biggest events, because you know I'm I'm going to be as soon as we finish this, I'm going to be going on the radio to talk about Tyrrell Hatton and doing and doing stories about golf that otherwise I I wouldn't necessarily be be doing and you multiply that across across the 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 media landscape and so golf is getting more column inches but that's that's just looking for for some kind of dividend out of out of it all and of course you know an awful lot of golfers at the very top of the game are becoming extraordinarily rich completely out of kilter with their genuine worth you know but listen there is still of course a, a significant division between the DP World Tour and the PGA Tour. I think the strategic alliances exist in many ways, but at the same time, we are still two very distinct entities. And and same with Liv, clearly. Uh, you you know, the, the whole world of professional golf is not nearly as together as, well, A, it maybe arguably should be, but as it even is rumoured to be. So um, I don't know, Ian, it's uh, it's a bit of a mess, as we all probably would agree. And, and I think that as well, unfortunately, a lot of players feel a sense of apathy uh, towards their own respective tour that they play on and the whole uh, environment in which we find ourselves. And that's the worst thing of all is to feel apathetic towards it and not invigorated or at least willing to put forward like Rory has done, but now doesn't do um, time and energy. So yeah, it's um, my internet connection is unstable. Andrew, in case you're, uh, I see you squinting. No, no, I think everyone's internet connection seems to be unstable. Everything just seems to be unstable, internet connection or otherwise. But uh, Legion 13 was a legion of the Roman army under Caesar. Now crossing the Rubicon, um, they crossed the Rubicon and that's when Caesar became dictator for life. Obviously, for a while. Uh, so, but but I, I think that somebody in, involved in the setup of Live has got a, a classical civilization degree, a history degree, because crossing the Rubicon, getting John Ram to sign mm. Legion 13, and a point of no return is what crossing the Rubicon means. The Rubicon's a river not too far north of, uh, of Rome. And when Caesar took his army over the Rubicon, 
it was deemed to be the point of no return whereby he would have to make the attack on Rome and take control. So uh, there we are. John Ram has crossed the Rubicon with his Legion 13 and they have taken control of Gulf with uh, Tyrrell Hatton, possibly Adrian Maronk and a fourth yet to be decided. Anton de Beck, perhaps. He's a good player. I don't know. Make it up with anybody. It doesn't matter. Lovely guy. I will say, I still think that Liv needs the PGA Tour more than the PGA Tour needs Liv. I still believe that in my heart of hearts because there is still no interest in their product. Uh, you know, PJ Tour are losing sponsors, but as far as I can tell, Live, they're not moving to Live. They're just moving out of the game. And that's the problem that the professional game is going to face. But, uh, you know, I, 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 yeah, they're still having to pay through the nose. More and more money to get these players. It is not a successful product. No one's really interested in it in numbers. That's it. That's the point. Nobody's, you know, you'll have your live diehards and your live bots who'll promote it and say it's an amazing product. In the grand scheme of things, nobody's interested in it. But then again, in the grand scheme of things in golf in general, very few people are interested apart from the majors when the eyes turn to the, the game. So there we are. We'll see. But uh, Tyrrell Hatton, it appears, is off. To live and joining Legion 13 and joining the big, big bucks. Money, 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 money. I was just going to say on a happier note, um, I went to Harlequins against Leicester Tigers as a fan on Friday night. And uh, who, who did I bump into? Oh, I, I know, I know, I know. Roger Chapman, it must be. No. Who did you bump into? You bumped into John Ram. No. At the stoop. I bumped into Amp. As it stands at the moment, most famous listener who is absolutely <laughs> thrilled to bits to be our most famous listener. Well, Eddie wasn't here last week when we decided we wanted to try and find our most famous listener, and we came up. We escalated from Chris Custer to Paul Grayson to Martin Bayfield through a rugby furrow. And Martin Bayfield, obviously, Eddie, you would uh, hopefully know that he's Hagrid when Robbie Coltrane was not Hagrid in the long shots. He's Hagrid in the Harry Potter films. Oh, I did not know that, but oh know? my god, is that true? Yes, yeah. Martin Bayfield, six foot ten of him. He is in the lo- all the long shots. He 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 because of his vast height and I can't wait to see him went with this. Year. I'm going to run up to him and hug him around his waist like Harry does. I'm just going to... Oh. oh, and he'll go, there, there, young Eddie. Because he's in the Wurzels, apparently, in the late 70s. Anyway, so we're, we're becalmed in Mart- on Martin Bayfield, which is a good place to be, becalmed. We haven't got anyone more famous than Martin Bayfield. Although a guy Charnock got in touch, not to claim that he's more famous than Martin Bayfield, but he's he's well known by some people. He's a, he's a listener because he's a producer, presenter on the Rick Shields Stuff, the pod, the YouTube, are great pod rivals. They're not rivals at all. They're friendly colleagues in the same business. They Actually, they are in business. So we're just hopeless bungling amateurs at the moment. Competing in a Corinthian spirit with no hope of prize money. Give them the prize money. Anyway, uh, they well, listen, they and we provide probably different products within the golf podcaster sphere. Different strokes for different folks. Gary Coleman. What are you talking about, Willis? Eddie, do you know different strokes? No, I don't know anything you just said. <laughs> what? That's different strokes. Hang on a second. Let me just. Let me just. Now that's, I mean, one of the great theme tunes of all time. Different strokes. So Gary Coleman, oh. that name wouldn't mean anything to you, no. No, but that's a good song. I enjoyed that. Different Strokes was a massive uh, comedy in the 80s out of America. Gary Coleman was a guy who had, uh, he was of diminutive stature, but he played a young guy. And then his catchphrase was, what you talking about, Willis? To his brother, Willis. Uh, anyway, they see, they wouldn't do that in Rick Shields. Has he got anything to recommend us this week? Oh, yes. Let's do this again. Hang on a second. 
Ian recommends. Okay, it's only a it's only a, a, a small one this week, um, which is uh, it's a film uh, that I'd seen before, and I watched on my way home from Dubai again. Reese Witherspoon, and this is not an excuse for Eddie to tell his terrible Reese Witherspoon song uh, joke. Reese Witherspoon in a film called Wild, and it's uh, it's a woman uh, who goes walking the Pacific crest trail pacific crest trail i've walked that and uh, honestly I ju- i've watched it twice and uh, i've thoroughly enjoyed it both times it's it's, uh, it's all about self-discovery and uh, it's and it's got the most amazing first scene or what one of the most amazing first scenes that involves a toenail that's all i'll say okay well wow, it's in- intriguing mm-hmm. ian recommends again so if you can find that anywhere give it a go Give it a go, says Ian Carter. And I'm going to see the holdovers tonight, so that's um, that 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 might be a recommendation next week. Let's see. Ian, I've since I've since been told to watch Slow Horses by a few more people, but but someone at the tour said that I look like one of the lead actors. Do you see that resemblance? Yeah. Yeah, Jack Jack Loudon. Yeah, that's the one, the very handsome one. Yeah, you're you're a slightly fatter version. You're a kind of jowly version. Oh, jowlier version. Say. Fantastic. Oh Just what I wanted to hear. I'll oh. take that to Bahrain with me. Thank you, Ian. Oh my God, um, Bahrain. Yeah. Yes, Bahrain this week for for Bahrain, the island. Uh, Bahrain, sort of sponsored by an oil and gas company this week, Natch. Although I can't be a hypocrite, I've been in Bahrain before for a special invitational event, kind of, it was many, many years ago. Went go-karting with Gianluca Vialli and Rude Hullet, which is, sounds total Alan Partridge, but um, that was a good weekend. I went go-karting in Australia and my weekend off. It's one of the best things I've ever done. I really enjoyed it. I've never been before. If it's a really good, good uh, long track, was it a good long circuit? It was about a minute and I think each lap took over a minute uh, and it was about 18 laps and uh, about, yeah, roughly a minute. I thought I was killing it by the end and I was still two or three seconds behind this German lad who won. God, he was fast. Uh, yeah, anyway, I enjoyed it. Great it was great, fun. great fun. Oh, tremendous. I tell you what, Eddie, when uh, the end of the season, uh, when you're in Abu Dhabi, which you will be, penultimate uh, mm. event of the year um i'll get out there and we'll go go-karting <laughs> we'll go go-kart it's brilliant there's a i've been it's the the track is right in the middle of the formula one track uh on yaz island in Abu Dhabi. let's do that oh i'd love to i just hope i can get the helmet on because it couldn't fit over my jowly face in australia we'll get a specially adapted oh, one who knows? Fine. maybe i'll be out there i doubt it i shall maybe it's still sponsored by right oh good uh other correspondence graham burt got in touch to say that lindra golf club straddles three counties i said it was in south yorkshire now graham says i've been driving past lindrick golf club to sheffield from essex for 45 years my wife is from sheffield i don't understand graham did you stay in essex after you got married and just travel up to see your wife every other thursday for date night anyway i would call into question graham's claim uh, not that he's married, I do believe that he's married. There's no reason to lie on that score. But I don't think Lindrick does straddle three counties. He says it's not South Yorkshire and Derbyshire, but I'm saying emphatically it's entirely within South Yorkshire. So, Because I've been poring over maps of county lines as I do. Uh, the Derbyshire border is not a million miles away. Nottinghamshire border is even closer, but it is entirely within South Yorkshire. Also, looking down on, on the maps, there look to be some very nice houses on the northern border of Lindrick Golf Course. One in particular is massive. I want to know who owns that one. Could be Westwood's house. Uh, yeah, it could be it could be Westwood's house, couldn't it? Is he not from East Lindrick? Have I just made that up? No, he's from well, he's from Works, so very near to Lindrick. Could it could could be Westwood's? So no, he lives up in he lives in Edinburgh now. Does he but not? no, but he used to live that he used to live down there. Yeah. There was a 
there was a story. Um, there was this. Oh no, I better not tell. Did the Saudi? <laughs> did it have the Saudi flag flying on top of it, Andrew? Right. Listen. Yes, it did. It was definitely his house. Now we said in many a commentary when we were at Wentworth that the border between Surrey and Berkshire was right on the humps of the eighth hole of the West Course at Wentworth, uh, but it's not. Again, studying the maps, the closest the that course gets to the border is behind the 12th green. But if you play the first on the old course at Sunningdale, just short of the green, you're going from Berkshire into Surrey. Or as you walk off the first green on the new course, you're heading that way, or on the 17th of the old. So do we have any courses? Does anyone know which straddle more than two county lines? And what about the the course where Ian Woosnam grew up, Oswestry? Yeah. Which is that's that starts in Wales and finishes in England or something like that. Oh, I'm, going to, I'm going to look it up right now. That's got something. Um, yeah. Well, uh, something yeah. odd about that. Okay. Uh, one more email while I think about looking that up from Joel Tadman. He's a golf monthly. I think he is. Um, he felt compelled to email after hearing Ian talk about being able to use the champions' locker room at Augusta on the day he played the course during the last episode. He was one of Ian's playing partners, and on this special day back in 2012, I can attest we really did have access to all areas. I also have a lot to thank Ian for. Not only was he the one with a camera to capture the evidence that I had played Augusta, picture attached, and there is a picture, Ian looking young and virile and not jowly in any way. Anyway, uh, Joel says, <laughs> having slightly pulled my drive on the par 515th, I was left with a 220-yard carry over the water, blocked out by the trees and encroached down the left-hand side. A lot of detail here, Joel. I was using a highly questionable set of 11 rental clubs with nothing in the bag capable of pulling off the shot required. So I asked Ian if I could borrow his Wilson Hybrid. Oh, I remember that club. He duly obliged and managed to hit an unbelievably high draw that set off towards the grandstand and curved back towards the flag, finishing just over the back of the green from which I was able to make birdie. He had four birdies in that day, 86 in total. What did you score? Did you keep a score, Ian? Yeah, I did. Uh, I hold everything out and shot 88. Mm. That's, that's not too shabby. You play off the front tees. Yeah. Beat Billy Casper. <laughs> yeah. Billy, Billy was playing yeah. off the back tees. He was off the back tees, yeah. No three putts. No three putts. Well, that is impressive. That's, my... that's very impressive yeah. indeed. So, Oswestry Golf Club. Here we go. Hang on a second. And there it is there. And where is the border? There is the, the border. Some emails coming in. Uh, I don't think I don't think it is. Is that? No, no, doesn't seem to be. All seems to be entirely. See, 50 minutes is the perfect time for a good podcast. <laughs> no, it's definitely all entirely within England. There's little you know, juts out there, the border. And the bo- no, because the border's to the west of Oswestry and Oswestry Golf Club is to the east of Oswestry. Mm. Oswestry Golf Chat. Someone will put us right. Can I just say that I did see some highlights of the PGA Tour and they are now calling Ludwig Ober. Aberg, Ludwig Ober. So, guys, you really have done the God's work there. We have, although somebody from Sweden got in touch and said, uh, said, oh, Barry, and said you should be saying a why. And I, I got into a discussion with him about it and how uh, Ludwig said himself that because he wasn't from Stockholm and he was from the south of the country, they said, oh, Barry, they are rather than, oh, Barry, uh, the Barry. Right. Okay. That's enough. Goodness me. I mean, do you know, I tweeted about uh, chopping hardwood in the pod uh, after the pod last week when I was promoting, I tweeted about chopping hardwood and I got an ad for log splitting, a log splitting drill bit on my timeline has appeared now and won't go away. So the internet knows us. It's a dark, dark place. What axe did you buy? Because our gardener told, told me to buy an axe. I bought one from Amazon and apparently it was way too light and small. 
No, well, you don't buy an axe at all. We, uh, this this proves Ian that Eddie doesn't, doesn't listen, listen to the pod, yeah. <laughs> which is quite right. I would hope he doesn't. If he doesn't watch golf, he's certainly not going to listen to our nonsense. But you don't use an axe. You use a, a maul. You use a blunt splitting tool, which is like an axe, but it's just blunt. And it, oh, God, I'm going to get more and more ads for log splitting devices. So have you got a, an axe for splitting logs in your gaff? We've got all sorts of stuff. I mean, I just keep buying everything incorrectly and wrong, and so I have to buy it again. He asked for a chainsaw to you know, cut some of the trees, all the wood off the trees. And it turned up and it was literally, the saw was as long as my hand. And uh, he said, what, what am I going to do with that? So I had to buy him another one. <laughs> oh dear. But the photo was actual size on your, it was on your screen. It's not good. <laughs> all right. Okay. We've got, we've got nothing else. We've got some, you know, big news there and Tyrrell Hatton off to live and some nonsense for you. And again, we've rambled well on beyond the hour mark. Hopefully we'll tighten it up and it'll be slightly shorter than that. But I think that's it, Ian, is it? <laughs> yeah, I, yeah, actually, I really enjoyed that. That was good. It's a good chat. Good golf chat. That was, um, yeah, well, it's not for us to say, is it really? Self-indulgent <laughs> nonsense, said Ian Carter. <laughs> <I> never... <laughs> you said self-indulgent madness. Yeah. Okay, uh, yeah. Well, I thought, it, I just wanted people to be aware that eventually we would get round to talking about golf in last week's pod because it took a while to get there. That was all. Yeah. Okay. Play well this week, Eddie, and uh, keep seeing Podrick for the lessons. Mm, and, thank you. Uh, we'll follow you from afar in Bahrain. Um, good. That's it. Eddie the Elegant. <laughs> well done, toots. And that completes this edition of The Chipping Forecast. Wishing you a safe and pleasant night. Folding pocket.